0: Can we celebrate again? Hold on, don't celebrate yet. Can we celebrate again, not only the seven baptisms we had this service, but the six that we had at the 930 service, 13 total today. That is awesome. It is so cool to see life change. Uh, That is a sign of a healthy church. And so thank you, Lord, for what you're doing uh, in young people's lives, not only us old folks as well. And so we have been in our series, Table Talk, and I don't know about you, but I have enjoyed this series. Pastor Bill kicked it off a couple of weeks ago, and he talked about marriage. And then the week after that, he talked about parenting. And I don't know about you, but I could always use more help in those areas. Amen? Okay, two of you, just me and you, all right. All right. <laughs> But I have to be honest, when I'm sitting and I usually come to the 9.30 service with my wife and we're sitting there and just looking at the logo from Table Talk and you're looking at the table and one thing happens to me, even though it's early, I start getting hungry because I just picture food on the table. um, And so it kind of gets me um, excited to eat after church. Um, But I know it's not just me because our daughter Isley, she's been attending the service with us and then she will go to Met Kids at 11 o'clock. And so she's sitting there and every time she's been in here with the Table Talk series, she will take the bulletin and she will begin to draw food on the table. And then she'll draw um, people sitting in the chairs. And I didn't ask her, but I'm just gonna assume that the picture is me because it's a stick figure and I look really thin. And so I'm just gonna take that without asking because I don't wanna hurt my feelings. But as I started preparing for this message, I started to think about the table a lot and the dinner table. And so I did some research. Um, I know some of you are going to be just as excited as I was for this, but the first dining room that was actually built in a house in America for a dining room table was in 1772 in the house of Thomas Jefferson. Jefferson. From the mid-century, 19th century onward, the dining room table was used as a place to cultivate a sense of family. Now they finally had a place with enough chairs that everybody in the family could sit down and eat together. Victorian parents used to educate their children on three different things at the dinner table. They taught them on religion, conversation, and table manners. And then in 1943, a sociologist named James Massard wrote this It is at the dining table, and particularly at dinner time, that the family is apt to be at its greatest ease. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but you're probably asked, saying, you know, in your mind, at ease at the dinner table? This dude has never eaten with my family, right? And there's nothing easy about dinner. But there are, there are a couple things that I have said um, at the dinner table, especially since I've had kids that I never thought that I would ever say at the dinner table. And the first one is, oh my gosh, that's disgusting. Um, and, and the second one is, don't do that at the dinner table. Go to the restroom for that, right? Anybody else had to say that to your kids? Okay, no, just me, great. The dinner table has changed over the years. In the 1950s, it emphasized the importance of the happy nuclear family, right? You all know the picture. I got one to show you. You have the father sitting at the end of the table, mom on the opposite side, and in the middle, the perfect docile children. Any of you have that now? Okay. Not so, but there have been a couple inventions that I believe have changed the dinner table dynamic so years later, it went from something like this to more of something like this. <laughs> the TV was invented. No longer did we sit around the table and talk, talk about our days, but instead we got our TV trays and sat in front of the tube. I mean, there was even uh, TV dinners invented because we didn't even want to waste time cooking dinner anymore. We wanted something simple and easy so we could get to the TV as quickly as possible. But today, um, there's been something recently in the past, I don't know, 20 years that has happened that you probably experienced at your dinner table. Even if you have everybody together, you go from the big screen to this picture. The small screen. Everybody's on their phones because something is so important that they're going to miss and you can't be with each other. Has anybody experienced this at your house? You see it all the time. You see, if you go to a restaurant, you see, it could be 15 people around the table. You're like, oh, that's awesome. Friends hanging out. And what are they all doing? Looking at their phones. But see, I think that the changes and the dynamic shift that has happened around the dinner table is not just about the table, but it's actually a dynamic shift that has happened in the family. So I I started to think a lot about uh, my family and really about the time that I have left, that we have left to actually even be a family and to be under the same roof. And so I started to think about my son, Ezra. He is an eighth grader, which means we have less than five years before he graduates and probably goes off to college and is no longer living with us. My daughter is a fifth grader, which means we have less than eight years before she does the same thing. And this was the time in the last service where I said, somebody please give a tissue to my wife because she's probably crying. But it started to get me thinking about not only the time that we have together as a family, but really thinking about the, the time that I even have here on earth. And yes, I know that just took a dark turn, but the average lifespan for us is 79 years. And what's interesting is it's not just the, the science-based people that are saying this. Scripture actually says this. Psalm 90 verse 10 says, our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures. Yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow. And get what, gets what it says here. For they quickly pass and we fly away. Life is, is short. James in James 4 says it this way, yet do not you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow for you are just a vapor, a puff of smoke that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Time is limited. Time is not very much. I am 44 years old which if I am going to live to the average means I have 35 years left. And when I thought about that, I'm like, that seems like a lot of years, 35 years. I feel like I got a lot left. Um, and then I thought I would show you what it actually looks like. And it kind of made me a little depressed, to be honest. Um, so Pastor Scott has this giant jar of marbles in his office. And I was like, hey, dude, can I borrow your jar of marbles for the for the message, which is a weird thing to ask another man. Um, but can I borrow your jar of marbles? And he was like, yeah, sure. Weirdo, where are you going with this? And so I took them and I I began to take out all the marbles from this jar. And then I counted 35, just so I could show you how many years I have left. I don't mean to depress you at all, but this is it. This is 35 marbles. Now, I know I'm not the youngest or the oldest. And so this could change for you. When I showed Pastor Bill, he was laughing. He was like, oh my gosh, I would have hardly any marbles in there, but this is it. Um, This is reality. You want to hear 35 years, that's all it is. And this is, if I live the average lifespan, what I have left, what I have left with my family, what I have left on this earth. And if you think about it this way, you can actually say, as you get older, you're actually losing your marbles, right? (laughs) But this gives us perspective of what our life is really like here on earth. And so I began to think, what, if I have limited time here, what is important? In these few years that I have left, in these few years that I have with my family, What should I make priority? And I saw this verse and it's kind of is the verse that we're gonna go off today. It's Psalm 133.1. And it says this, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Together. So this, this is not just the church family. For me, it starts with my family unity with my family, togetherness with my family. And so I thought this morning, I would give you three things that I wanna encourage you to do as a family, um, why you still have time here on this earth with them. So if you're with me, say I'm with you. Awesome. So the first thing is this, smile together, smile together. So not only did I do some research on tables, which I know you were impressed by that, um, but I researched smiling and this is what I found. Smiling releases endorphins, natural painkillers, and serotonin, three neurotransmitters that make us feel good from head to toe. These natural chemicals elevate our mood, relax our body and reduce physical pain. Ron Gutman, who's a smiling expert, which I didn't know existed till this, states that one single smile is as stimulating to our brain as eating 2000 chocolate bars. Now, I don't know who's with me, but I'm up to research this. I think we should try this out and see. But I just pictured myself after I read that in the grocery store, in the aisle with all the candy, trying to you know get away from the temptation, just like making myself smile a lot. Um, but it's interesting what smiling can do. He goes on to say, consider smiling a natural drug. Isn't that interesting that what science says it, it says it in the Bible. Listen to this. Proverbs 17, says, a joyful heart is good medicine. But why? Why should you have joy in your life? Nehemiah tells us that the joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of the Lord, meaning if you are a follower of Christ, you call yourself a Christian, you have the joy of the Lord within you, you you have faith, you have put your faith in Jesus. You know Jesus, which means he gives you strength, he gives you joy, and he gives you a peace that passes all understanding. So no matter what you were going through this morning, and I know in a room this size, there's, there's people going through some stuff, going through some hard times, going through some pain right now. But let me give you some good news because it says in Psalm 30, verse five, weeping, pain, sorrow may stay for the night, but guess what? Joy comes in the morning, amen? Amen. And if we have the joy of the Lord on the inside, it should be reflected on the outside. Proverbs 15, 13 says, A glad heart makes a cheerful face. Now, a lot of Christians that I've met, a lot of Christians that I see that have the joy of the Lord on the inside in their life, needs to do one thing tell their face. (laughs) Tell their face. Right? How many people that you know that say, oh, I'm a follower of Christ, but they seem miserable? Don't point at your neighbor, okay? Um, But it's so true. So this is what I wanna do. We're gonna change this right now, and I need your help. I want you to look at your neighbor, and you are gonna smile with the biggest smile possible at each other, okay? Now do this. Come on, ready? Look at your neighbor and go. Smile, just smile. Goofy, smile big, Okay, now I want you to turn to your second choice and I want you to smile big to them. Give them a big grin. There we go. See, you don't need those chocolate bars anymore. Here's another thing, um, ladies, I don't know if you're interested, but when I did the research, it said when you smile, you look younger. I know, all of them just smiled again. You're not gonna, you're gonna frown ever again. But it's so interesting what a smile can do. So how can you as a family smile together? Do things together. Do fun things together. I have a little motto for our family. um, And it goes like this, moments over materials. Moments over materials. Now, my parents growing up, they bought me stuff I know they did, but I can't remember everything they purchased for me, but you know what I do remember? I remember the time they spent with me. I remember the trips that we took to Padre Island. I remember going to ball game. I remember doing all that as a family, more so than I do anything that was bought for me. Why? Because it made an impact in my life. Be intentional about making moments with your family. Go to a concert. If you have kids, take them to one of your favorite bands growing up so they can go and cringe the whole time. Or maybe you go to one of their favorite, favorite artists. Make sure you check the lyrics before you go so you're not embarrassed. But go to a concert. Maybe you go to a ball game. Maybe you go on bike rides. Maybe you make a lifetime goal with somebody in your family or with your family. My son and I, this past year, we made a goal that in our lifetime together, we want to visit and watch a basketball game at every NBA arena. Now there's 32 teams, we got 31 to go. Go, Mavs. but it's something that we decided we want to do together. What's really cool, we're going on a trip to Pigeon Forge over Thanksgiving. Why are we going? Well, it's gonna be beautiful this time of year, but my family loves trips. Why Pigeon Forge? Because my wife loves Dolly Parton, right? And so we're gonna go there. What are we gonna stay? We're gonna stay in a cabin. Why? Because my family loves to stay in a cabin, especially my daughter, Isley. What are we gonna do on the way? We're gonna stop in Memphis and we're gonna hit up a Grizzlies game. So we got 30 more to go after that. We're gonna do things as a family. And you know what you need to do? Tell yourself this, I'm gonna do things with my family that they enjoy. Because when you begin to do things that they enjoy, you are going to enjoy it. You know why? Because you get to see them enjoy it. And that's what it's all about. Do things fun. And some of you may be saying, man, everything you're saying sounds really expensive. Start simple. Maybe you decide I'm gonna eat around the dinner table with my family once a week. Once a week, we're gonna put our phones down. We're gonna turn the TV off. We're gonna sit around. We're gonna talk like a family. It may be chaos, okay? It may take more than once. But here's something my wife loves to do when we sit down at the table. She says, all right, everybody give a rose and a thorn. Give something that happened to your day that was pretty cool. And maybe give something that maybe was a little tough. Maybe you could say it this way. Do a praise and prayer. Give something that was great in your day that you saw God do, and then give us something that we can pray for you about. Maybe it's a high and a low. Maybe you're like, Corey, you don't know my family. That'd be like pulling teeth to get them to talk. Do something else. Something my daughter loves to do when we sit down and eat is she loves to answer trivia questions. So I get out my phone. She goes, let's do trivia. So I'll get out my phone and we'll do random trivia. Maybe after you eat, if none of this is for you, you pull out a board game and you play a game together as a family. My family loves to play categories, and I think we love it is because we're competitive, but also we like to laugh at each other's answers. So there's that smile. Again, play games, laugh together, make moments that will turn into memories that will impact not only your family now, but the way they raise their family later on. And it doesn't end when your kids get older and move out of the house. It ends when you're no longer here. So do as much as you can with the family that you have while you still have them. Have fun together. Smile together. The second thing that I want to encourage you to do, if you're taking notes, write this down, is serve together. Serve together. Joshua 24, 15 says this, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, say this with me, we will serve the Lord, serve together. I am privileged to be able to um, oversee and lead our missions ministry that we have at the Met which means I get to lead the trips. I get to um, partner with the different people, take on the projects and decide how we're gonna support those projects throughout the year. So I've been able to go on a few trips here lately. Um, But let me tell you, out of all the trips I've ever been on, um, this last spring break, hands down, was my favorite. And, And the reason why was this picture right here. because they went with me. There's nothing like seeing your family serve the Lord. There's nothing like seeing your daughter in the streets playing football with the Belizean boys. And then later I have to tell them to back up because they keep saying they love her. I have to show them. (laughs) There's nothing like watching your son help lead the VBS with the youth students and I've been on many trips with my wife, um, so I've seen her in action, but seeing her as a mom uh, lead is, is another thing. If you wanna be like Jesus, I think there's no greater thing that you can do but to serve. It says in Matthew, we're reminded that just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Something happens in your family dynamic when it becomes less about you and more about other people. You set the example that Christ set for us when he came and served us in a way when he became the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. In Acts, it tells us that it's more of a blessing to give and to receive. There's a reason when you serve and you help other people that you have a good feeling in your life. It's intentional because you were supposed to do that because God has called us to love him with all that we are and to love other people. And to make sure our family is all about him, we need to do this third thing. And it is Sunday together. Sunday together. Here's, here's what I've, I've learned, especially here in the past uh, few years, is that life gets busy. If you have a family, whether you have one kid or uh, 30 kids, which God bless you, what's wrong with you? Um, <laughs> life gets busy. I mean, think about it. A lot of us, because I see it all the time, We work, right? We work and we work all day. We work hard. We work long hours. We get home. Uh, We may eat dinner, say hi to our family. And then what do we get to do again? We start working while we're at home. I don't know how many of you um, have kids, but if you have kids and they are in any extracurricular activity, you know how consuming that can be. That's what I'm experiencing now. Um, We got volleyball, we got basketball. Now, if you're in this, God bless you, but how crazy is cheer around here, guys? Competitive cheer is, man, it's crazy. But if you're not at a game You're going to practice. If you're not at practice, you got training. Um, So you get home after work and mom is taking so-and-so here and dad's taking so-and-so here for the different things because there is so much going on. And then you finally get home and you realize that your house did not magically clean itself. And does anybody else have the never-ending laundry? It is non-stopped. And what happens is these things just pile up and pile up. But the thing is, these are not bad and evil things. Well, laundry may be a little evil, but these are not bad and evil things. But what happens is we take on so much and we have so much going on in our lives, that things get buried. And usually the thing that gets buried is when you move all of this stuff and you look, is your faith. God because you are so consumed with everything else going on that you don't make God a priority. Why is it important to make God a priority? Because it doesn't just affect your life. It affects the life and the unity of your family. It's the most important thing. So you need to say, hey, we are going to be a family that Sundays together. When we wake up in the morning, there's no question. You don't have to ask dad. You don't have to ask mom. Are we going to church today? They just know this is who we are. This is what we do. If the Cowboys are playing at noon, we may go to 930, but we're still going. Right? We are gonna make this. So come to church. Why do you need to come to church? So you can make sure the most important thing is the most important thing, can I get it amen, amen. don 't let other stuff in this world get in the way of god colossians three two says it this way: Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. We see a story in matthew twenty two and it 's Jesus Um, talking to the religious, the Pharisees, and um, he begins to tell a parable, a story, so they can get some understanding of what he's trying to get across to them. And what we see is we see the king is throwing a wedding feast for his son who's getting married. And so he has an invitation list and everybody on the list is going to get an invite. And it was custom back in those times that there were actually two invites. The first invite, the servant would go out, they would go to the people face to face and say, hey, I need to let you know we got this feast going, this party, it's gonna be awesome, you are invited. In that moment, they would kind of give an RSVP, cool, I'm in. The next invite, they would come back and say, the feast is ready, come on. So the king sends all of his servants out, They have the list of the invitees and they go home to home and they begin to tell them, hey, you're invited to the wedding feast. But what happens is every servant that invites every person is told for some reason or another why they can't come. They say, I have family things. They say, I have work. They say, I have all this stuff going on. I can't be there. So the servants come back to the king and they say, everybody on the list has given us an excuse of why they can't be here. And so what the king does is he scraps it. He says, you know what, forget that list. What I want you to do is I want you to go out and everyone you see, let them know that they are invited to the feast. Let them know they're invited to come and celebrate with the king. And then at the very end of this parable, he wraps it up with this verse, Matthew 22, verse 14. It says, many are invited, but few are chosen. You know why they were chosen? Here's what's interesting. They were chosen because they decided to accept the invitation. That was it. The Bible tells us the most famous verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. The invitation, who is it for? The world, right? Everyone. How do you accept the invitation? By believing in Jesus, by putting your faith in Jesus and what he did for you. What's the invitation for? This verse tells us everlasting life. The invitation is for a seat at God's table. When I was nine years old, I was in vacation Bible school, Providence Baptist Church. And I'd been hearing all week long about Jesus and, and I heard that Jesus came, took my sins that I deserved to die for, went to the cross and paid the ultimate price so that I would not have to suffer that. And now because that sin is removed, I can have a relationship with him and spend eternity with him in heaven. My heart was moved. And so I decided to put my, my faith in Jesus. And at nine years old, I gave my life to Christ. I had my seat at the table. When my wife was seven, because she's holier than me, um, (laughs) she decided that it was time, um, she was fully in. She had heard about Jesus for a while and she knew without a doubt that she wanted him to be her savior, that she wanted to live the rest of her life dedicated and focused on him. So she prayed the prayer And she sat down because now she had a seat at the table. The greatest thing I believe that Amanda and I have done as parents is we made sure that our kids knew about Jesus. We talked about him often. And I know I work at a church and you may be saying, well, that's what you do for a living. That doesn't mean it's easy. But we made sure that our kids heard, knew, and understood what Jesus did for them because it's the most important thing you can do as a parent. And so a few years ago, after many, many conversations, um, we had the opportunity to pray with Ezra, my son, as he gave his life to Jesus. He understood that Jesus wanted to trade him his sins for God's righteousness, so he could now have a right relationship with God because of his faith and what Jesus did for him. What's really cool is I got to baptize him after that. He got his seat at the table. Then a few years later, uh, sweet little Isley continued those conversations. Had the opportunity to sit down and pray to, to, to pray a simple prayer. is not magical. It's just a moment that she said, God, I believe in you and what you did through Jesus. And I want to give you my life. I want to make him the Lord of my life. She got her seat at the table. But here's the thing. Even though There is nothing better to me as a father to have the assurance of my family's faith. I still have marbles in my jar. I still have years in my life and there's still plenty of room at the table. So I wanna encourage you, my church family, that God's not done with you because you still have breath in your lungs. So this is what I wanna encourage you to do. Let's smile together. Let's show people the joy that we have by knowing Jesus and having the assurance of faith by the way we express it on the outside. Let's serve Together, let's impact the life of others by doing what Christ came to earth to do for us and that is to serve. And lastly, let's Sunday together. Let's commit to being part of the body of Christ on a regular basis. Why? So we can encourage one another we can spur one another on in our faith. And together we can tell as many people as possible about what Christ did for them and that he has prepared a place and there's an invitation for them. Why? Because they have a seat at the table. And this seat is the most important seat because this seat impacts eternity. Will you pray with me? God, we are so grateful for your word, God. We are grateful that we serve a God that wants us to have joy in our lives that wants us to smile. And and God, I pray that we do realize no matter what's going on, that joy is in the morning. Every day is a new day. God, I pray that we have the heart to serve others. The heart to impact other people whether it's serving them food, whether it's serving them water, whether it's helping them find a job, helping them find clothes, whether it's stopping on the side of the road to help somebody change a tire, God, I pray that all of it is done in your name and that you would use those things to draw people back to you. And God, I pray that we would Sunday together, that we would continue to be faithful to show up so that our faith can grow. Our faith can continue to solidify. And God, that we would set the example of faith so that it would impact our families to know you more. God, give us the courage to be your hands and feet, to be encouraging, to be kind, to be loving, and to be willing to share at any second, all that you have done in our lives so that it could change eternity for someone else. God, even today, allow us to show someone that they have a seat at your table. And for all of us here this morning that maybe have never taken that step of faith to say, God, I believe what you did through Jesus, I believe that he died on the cross. I believe that three days later he conquered death. I believe that he took my sin and paid the ultimate price. He was the ultimate sacrifice. And because of that, if I have faith in what he did, I can now have a relationship with you. And one day I will sit down at your table in heaven and spend eternity with you, the King. God, allow us to see that we are limited here on earth. And that while we were here, we need to make the most impact possible, not for us, but for you and for your glory. And it's in your name that we pray, amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us by visiting metchurch.com so that we can follow up with you this week. We look forward to seeing you next week.